Our Father, we are thankful that you have never been depressed. And we are thankful that you have never despaired or been worried about the future. You've never been in the dark about anything. But that's where a lot of us are right now. And we have um, a lot of emotions that are swirling around down deep within us because we are trying to make sense of what is going on around us. And we know you are sovereign and you are in control. And quite honestly, that's what baffles us at times. Why things shake out the way they shake out. And it troubles us. This happens in life. It happens uh, at different times in life. Our hearts get troubled. And when the disciples were troubled, because they were given some disturbing news by the Lord himself that they did not want to hear and they did not want to accept, Jesus looked at them and said, let not your hearts be troubled. And that was not a political catchphrase for some radio host. That was the word of God. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place, I will come and receive you unto myself. What an interesting conversation he was having with them because they were concerned about their immediate future. They were concerned about their immediate circumstances. They were worried, they were scared, they were in the dark, and they come to him and he says, you don't need to be troubled, believe in God, believe in me. And then he starts talking about heaven. And the last thing they were interested in at that moment was heaven. They were trying to figure out how to live on earth. But there was a point to what Jesus told them. And it's the same point that is for us. And the point is this. If, if I am the one true God, and if I'm going away and it disturbs you, know this. I'm going to set up things for you forever in eternity. And at the right time, I will come back and receive you and take you there with me. And the point they missed was that if he's got eternity covered for us, it's no big deal the next few days or our immediate future. He's got that covered. He's got it all covered, even the stuff we don't get and the stuff we don't understand. We have to use our minds and we have to rope our emotions and we have to bring them under the Lordship of Christ. And we have to bring them under the dominion of biblical truth. So help us to do that. I remember reading Martin Lloyd-Jones one time, and he said, what everyone is desperately seeking is a calm heart. That's the opposite of a troubled heart. Then he went on to say that the scriptures basically say that there is only one avenue to a calm heart, and that's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else calms our heart. We can drug our hearts, we can escape by different means, but nothing will calm us in our spirits apart from Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done.
and that he's in charge of the whole world. So calm our hearts tonight, Lord. As you spoke to the storm and calmed it, calm the storm in our hearts. You own the whole world. Even the wind and the sea obeys your voice. We're grateful. Grateful for you and what you've done, that you've called us. Grateful that you have a plan for each guy. You've got a plan for our kids and their kids. It's all under control. Looks out of control. It isn't. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, who hope for his loving kindness. We live off that. We believe it. We trust in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're working our way through Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is God's hall of fame. If you've been here throughout the study, you've heard me say that every week. Uh, Hebrews 11 is God's hall of fame. The people that are mentioned are Old Testament saints. And the reason they're in God's Hall of Fame is that they walk by faith. Hebrews 11.6, the Christian life is a life of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Uh, faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is not uh, hoping that it's true. Uh, faith is believing what God has said. It is believing um, what he has said about everything in life. It, it's believing the gospel that, as 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says, that Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. He died in our place. Then he, then, then he was buried. Then he rose from the grave. First important, First importance, you see. Then he appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to the apostles. Then he appeared to over 500 at one time. That's the gospel. He's God. He conquered death. John Owen wrote a book called The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. Christ killed death. He conquered death. That's of first importance. The Bible is about Christ. All kinds of issues. Um, all kinds of issues. It's all under the Lordship of Christ. Um, so we're looking at Hebrews uh, 11. These guys in the Old Testament walk by faith. Um, and then you get to Hebrews 12.1, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the men that were mentioned in Hebrews 11, and have finished their race and gone on to be with the Lord. See, they finished their race, now we're running the race, and we're having to walk by faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance, because it's a long race and it's a hard race. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Watch this. Here's the whole point. Here's the whole focus of the book of Hebrews. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Christianity is about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. Christianity is Jesus Christ. They were first called Christians in Antioch. That's where the word Christian came from. They were Christ followers. You see? So it's all about Christ. So here we are, and we're working our way through Hebrews chapter 11, and I get my little plan, and we're going to go through and do all this. And then um, uh, last night, about midnight, Mary said to me, she said, so what are you going to teach on tomorrow night? And uh, I said, well, I'm recalibrating even as we speak. And um, it all fits. It all fits because, you see, you never know what life's going to bring. 
And uh, all these guys in the Old Testament, and we've studied their lives, you know, we're looking at them. And what happens is they, they're living their life and God calls them and God calls Abraham at 75 and he goes out not knowing where he's going. That kind of, that kind of you know, it covers us, doesn't it? We think we know where we're going. We don't have a clue. The mind of man plans his way. The Lord directs his steps. And so you head out and you're following the Lord. And you come to know him. He draws you to himself. He comes in and invades your life. He regenerates you by the Holy Spirit. Now you're born again. Now you're going to walk with him. You see? And you never know what life's going to bring. And all these guys that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, if you, if you study their lives, they're, they're, they're just going through life. And about every once in a while, they'll just, boom, they'll hit a crisis. And they're stunned and they're shocked and they don't know what to do with it and they never saw it coming and they're blindsided and they oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And everything looks like it's coming to an end and it's the end of the world and they don't see any way out. Good things will happen and bad things will happen. Uh, we looked at uh, Moses last week. What an amazing story. So Moses delivers them. They head out. They're free for the first time in over 400 years. God says, go camp by the Reed Sea, Red Sea, we call it. They camp. And as they're camped and counting all their money that the Egyptians had given them as they were leaving, at the same time, if you look at Exodus 14, God is fulminating the heart of Pharaoh. God runs human rulers. He runs them. He owns them. They're puppets as I read the Word of God. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. I've said it before, I'll say it again. God runs political leaders like Buffalo Bob ran Howdy Doody. <laughs> you young guys need to Google Howdy Doody. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Howdy Doody was a puppet. A kind of a weird mouth with, you know, he was just a dummy. That kind of applies, doesn't it, in a lot of situations. Anyway. Um, anyway. But he was in a high place. Uh, a lot of kids watched Howdy Doody when I was growing up. But Buffalo Bob pulled the strings. God pulls the strings of human history and of the future. There's a plan for the ages uh, in this book. There's a plan for the ages. Um, it is on schedule to the nanosecond. It is more exact than an atomic clock from beginning to end. Those are the facts. God is never depressed. God is never shocked. God is never stunned. He's God. He's sovereign. You don't get that watching a news channel. And you don't get that on talk radio. You get that in this book. So Hebrews 11 these guys are always in crisis. Not always, but you go for, you know what we do, the Christian life? Here's the Christian life. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll show you the verse again in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. The reason we look into the Old Testament, it says this, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance or, or through endurance, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In the Old Testament, you see that Old Testament is there for a reason. It's history. And, and you see the lives of individual men who are walking by faith. God's leading them. And then they suddenly hit a crisis and they don't see any cotton-picking way out. They're finished. They're doomed. That's what happened at the Red Sea. There was no way out. You got mountains on both sides, you got the sea in front of them, you got Pharaoh's army behind them, and they thought, they thought it was over. They lost all hope. And then what did God do? God works strangely. 
God's always working strangely. You read the Bible, he doesn't do it the way we think he ought to do it. He never does that. Why? Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not your ways. Stop and think about that verse and apply it to where we are right now. My ways are not your ways. Got an email from a guy, just, you know, I read it about 5, five o'clock, checked my email, email from a guy in this group. Great word of encouragement. Really appreciated what he had to say. Didn't have a chance to respond, but I appreciate it. Then I'm driving over here, and my phone rings, and a guy who comes to this study can't be here tonight. But he's really hoping I'm going to try to deal with some things <laughs> from a biblical perspective. And I said, what might those things be? But I knew what he meant, you see. Because uh, he said, I, I must have talked to 20 guys today, and they're just Christian guys, and they're absolutely stunned and baffled. Well, that doesn't count the 20 I've talked to. That's pretty much where everybody is. But see, if you back up and you think about who God is, and he says to us, my ways are not your ways, right there, that ought to help us. Well, see, this isn't, I mean, a lot of guys are thinking, let's just be honest, this isn't the way I thought it was going to go. No, obviously it isn't. But he runs the whole world. Yeah, but I don't get it. Well, he told us we wouldn't get it. My ways are not your ways. And I just blanked. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't even have thoughts. I'm losing them, Dan. <laughs> My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I, 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 I would say amen to that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. In other words, God's knowable, but he's incomprehensible. We cannot fathom the ways of God. And to us, God works strangely. And there are times, and so at the Red Sea, they're camped. they got a future. They're going to the promised land after 400 years of slavery. And as they're camped and comfortable, God stirs up the heart of Pharaoh to put them in crisis. On purpose, and it says four times in the text that he stirred up the heart of Pharaoh. God started the crisis on purpose. And the reason that he did it was that he was going to bring glory to his name and honor to his name. He was going to put them in a crisis. They saw no way out. Their immediate future was, was hopeless. Now he's going to do something and make a way where there is no way. That's the Bible. And we go from crisis to crisis in the Christian life. We go from faith to faith. We go from giant to giant. And then, later on, not too many months, weeks after the Red Sea, and God delivers them, and they've just seen the ten plagues and the power of God, then they go into the land. Moses is going to get 12 guys, one from each tribe. The Lord says, get, you know, 12 leaders. Go spy out the land. They go spy it out. They come back. And uh, they say, it's an incredible land, you know, incredible cities, and God's going to give it all to them. And then they say, but this is Numbers 13. But, you know, 10 of the 12 guys says, but there are giants in the land. And there were literal giants. It was a race of giants. And they said, we can't take these guys. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take them by the power of God. Look what God did in the past. Look at it. God had just done unbelievable things for them, and they freaked out that we can't take these giants. We're always running into giants. Giants of addiction, giants of alcoholism, giants of, uh, of failed economies, giants of uh, 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 poor leadership, giants of this, giants of this, that threaten our lives, threaten our existence, threaten us. All these giants scare us, intimidate us. You know what the greatest giant of all is? God. He's the giant that trumps every giant. He's God. And so we walk from crisis to crisis, from faith to faith. Trusting in God and what he has promised to his people. That's the Christian life. I got the wrong notes. No wonder I'm confused. Now I got the right ones. So as we're in Hebrews 11 working our way through 
I always think it's interesting when I, when I when I when I do a Bible study, I'm studying the Bible and all that, and I and I and I mentioned this earlier. I don't mind, you know, these guys walk by faith. They were in God's Hall of Fame. Okay, well, he, he wants me to walk by faith. I don't mind teaching on faith. I just don't want to have to apply it. But I find myself always having to walk by faith and apply what I'm studying. Um, and so now here we are, and a lot of guys today are disturbed because of what's occurred. Uh, some of you aren't disturbed. You should be. And I really do mean that. Biblically, if you're not disturbed, I would say um, you're feeding off the wrong stuff. And the input you're getting is not from the Word of God. So I have a question, and my question is this. Why is it that Billy Graham several weeks ago, for the first time in his life, took out full-page ads about an upcoming election. Never done it before. Several weeks ago, Chuck actually alluded to this ad and uh, read it in the pulpit. I'll read it to you. This is why Billy Graham did what he had never done before. And it's so small, I've got to do this. The legacy we leave behind, it says vote biblical values, Tuesday, November 6th. That was yesterday. I don't know if you were following this. The legacy we leave behind for our children, grandchildren, and this great nation is crucial. As I approach my 94th birthday, I realize this election could be my last. I believe it is vitally important that we cast our ballots for candidates who have their... Um, I think it's decisions on biblical pr principles who base their decision on biblical principles and support the nation of Israel. I urge you to vote for those who protect the sanctity of life and support the biblical defini definition of marriage between a man and a woman. Vote for biblical values this November 6th. Pray with me that America will remain one nation under God. That's why I did it. It was critical. Uh, as I read this, it did not go the way he was praying. And that's why a lot of guys are troubled and disturbed and concerned and really down. A lot of people are grieving. How do we handle this? Um... Right now, how do we walk in faith rather than walking in depression? How do we do it? How do we do Hebrews 11 right now at this day in history? Uh, he was right. Pivotal. Pivotal decision yesterday. Pivotal. How is it that today, as, as, a, as a, a man who's following Christ, wife, kids, maybe you're single, wherever you are in life, grandfather, I don't know where you are, how is it that you handle where we are right now? How is it that you fight off grief and despair and worry and anger? How do you fight that off and walk by faith? Uh, he is in charge. And God's promises, see? Uh, uh, what you're giving me are biblical facts. We live off the facts. Uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, if you would, please. Why are we going to Exodus chapter 20? Well, I'll show you why. In Exodus chapter 20, this is... Um, in Exodus 20, you have uh, the 10 suggestions that God gave. <laughs> Actually, they are not 10 suggestions. They're 10 commandments. Uh, Remember Romans 15, 4? The things written of old are written for our encouragement that we might persevere, you know? There's a reason this stuff is in the Old Testament. You not only have individuals who walk by faith, 
but you have the story of nations. God is sovereign over nations. Now, we're going to keep our finger in, in this, but we look around and we see great nations and we see the events of the world and all this. You know what God says about great nations in Isaiah 40? He says they're void and meaningless. In fact, in Jeremiah, he talks about the nations and he says he whistles for them like you'd whistle for a dog. That's what he thinks about great nations. They're just golden retrievers running around. Good boy. They're meaningless and they're void. Oh, and then you know what God talks about in Isaiah 4? He talks about great leaders. Who do you think is great? Who do you think is in charge? Who do you think is in control? Great leaders? Then he says, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely have they been planted, and I blow on them and they wither. Let's study great leaders sometimes in the Bible. There's a guy named Herod, and he got up, and he, there's a bunch of guys named Herod, actually, but he got up, and they said, oh, the voice of a God, and, all, you know, and they give him glory as God. And you know what God did? God sent uh, worms and parasites into his body. The sucker died of putrefaction, couldn't even live with his own smell. He wouldn't give glory to God. And see what happens, we look around, great nations, and we feel like our life is under the control of these nations and these leaders who were in high places. And yes, they're in high places. How did they get into high places? You read the Bible, he put them there. He put them there. They're in high places. They are high. He is most high. He runs them. He owns them. He controls them. He buffalo bobs them. Like howdy doody. Yeah, but I don't get why he would do it that way. Well, that's because you're not God. This is where we're going to have to walk by faith and trust the Father who knows what he is doing and knows 10 million things we've never thought about. Right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Hegel said, history teaches us that men never learn from history. Did you get that? This is Old Testament history. There's a reason this stuff's in the Old Testament. It's to teach us lessons, not only about how God works with individuals, but how God works with nations. And if you don't know history, you don't know about the rise and fall of great nations. Right? But uh, who was it? Toynbee did a whole study. A bunch of other guys have done study on the rise and fall of nations. Nations rise and nations what? Fall. You got that in the book of Daniel. In the second half of the book of Daniel, God said, hey, let me show you what's going to happen. You got these different empires. It was all set. It was all planned. It was all the plan of God. Boom, here's what's going to come. And it made Dave, uh, Daniel sick to his stomach. Every time he would see this revelation, he'd get sick. Sort of like how you feel sick. He'd go to bed. He couldn't even get out of bed. He was so despair, in such despair. And the angel said, it's not for your time. It's for a later time. And you're thinking, a later time? Maybe that's us. Well, we're closer to it than he was. I'll tell you that for sure. Things are moving, aren't they? But, but, but who is running the show? He is. Okay. And by the way, when these things happen, God always has his eye on his people. He always has a remnant who love him with all their heart, soul, strength, and might. Okay. I, I'm editing and cutting and pasting and watching the clock. So you got the rise and fall of great nations. Uh, when you read the rise and fall of great nations, uh, I think one made it past 250 years. Now you do the math. We're not rising, we're falling. You wanna know where we are? You read Romans chapter one, verse 18, down to the end. And when you suppress the truth about God, and that's what we've done. Um, uh, Psalm 11, 9 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Uh, this nation was built not on the Koran. It was built on the Bible. Laws come from somewhere. Uh, I'm not saying we were perfect. We, we had things we shouldn't have had, and we kept things we shouldn't have kept longer than, anyway, that's, that's just the fact. But I'm saying our laws come from somewhere. And when you look at uh, the, the, the founders, yes, many of them were deists. 
Yes, but many of them were also Bible-believing Christians. And they would look into the book, and the fact that we have three different branches of government comes from an Old Testament concept. That's why people were trying to bring their families here for quite a while, to get here. Because there was opportunity here that wasn't anywhere else. Is because laws were based on a concept from the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So those were our foundations. Now, what we've been watching, we've been watching the foundations be destroyed. If you want to know what's going to happen to a nation, someone has said that a historian is a prophet in reverse. Think about that. So you want to know where a person who denies the truth about God is going, read Romans 1.18 to the end. You want to know what happens to a nation? Read Romans 1.18. If you want to keep going against God and denying his truth, he's going, to, he's going to give you over, he's going to give you over, he's going to give you over. As I read Romans 18, 1.18 to the end, the point where a nation is given over, we are there and have been there. Just, I mean, as I read the Bible. It's also what happened in the Old Testament to Israel. Okay? Because what happened to Israel is that God called them out through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and then he had his 12 sons who became the 12 tribes. Uh, then Joseph, they're in Egypt for 40 years. He delivers them. Then Moses, they got to wait for 40 years because of the unbelief of the 10 spies. Then through Joshua, they go into the promised land and they got to fight the giants and God gives them the land. And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And I'm going the way of my fathers. I'm going to die, and you make sure you follow the Lord. But he knew they wouldn't because they went after the idols. And you get into the book of Judges, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And there was chaos and anarchy and unbelievable violence and injustice. And that was the book of Judges. And then they decided, you get into Samuel, and they wanted a king. And they didn't want God as their king. They wanted a king like the other nations, okay? But they kept going into idolatry. They kept going. They wouldn't serve the one true God who had given them life and given them prosperity. They kept going off after idols. And in Deuteronomy 28, God says, listen, if you'll follow me, I'll bless you beyond your wildest dreams. You will, there's a whole list. You will be a lender and not a borrower. You will be the head and not the tail. Da, 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 da. But if you disobey me, I'll curse you. And the curses are three times longer. And they went with the curses. And he sent the prophets, and you, then you read about the kings, all the kings that he gave them, you know, and all the kings, and the nation split, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Northern kingdom had all bad kings, idolaters from day one, until they were taken off into captivity and disappeared, the judgment of God. Then the southern kingdom kept hanging around, Judah, uh, the tribe of, of uh, uh, Judah and Benjamin in the south, and they'd have bad kings, then a good king, bad kings. And, and finally, after the prophets speaking, turn back to God, turn back to God, you know what happened? God said, that's it. And they collapsed. And they were talk, taken off into captivity for 70 years. Okay. So, you want to know what's going to happen with a nation, you just look to the past and you'll learn lessons. Let's go to Exodus 20. Let's get this in perspective. Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. They did that. They just kept doing it. That's what Baal worship is all about. Okay? Uh, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. See the importance of work? This is a six days you shall sit around on your tail and collect a check for not doing anything. God wants men to work. It's part of the creation ordinance. Men are to work. Okay. And that's why you give them a day off. Doesn't matter which day, but there's a Sabbath principle. All right. Uh, verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. So last night, last night after watching the returns and all that, um, 
Uh, I started reading um, an article by Wayne Grudem and Barry Asmus called Property Rights Inherit in the Eighth Commandment, just to help me go off to sleep. How many of you guys read that last night? Why was I reading that? Wayne Grudem is a world-class theologian. Wayne is quite a guy, a good friend. Um, Property rights inherent in the Eighth Commandment. Yeah, why was I reading that? Because I needed truth last night. Um, Let me give you a couple excerpts. Now just stay with me and watch this. Watch how relevant this is to where we are. Okay? He says, uh, the Eighth Commandment is Exodus 20.15, you shall not steal. Our first impression is that the commandment is quite simple. It tells us not to steal, which tells us we should not take something that does not belong to us. It is a simple command consisting of only four words in English and only two words in Hebrew. You shall not steal. What part of that do we not understand? On deeper reflection, however, we will, we will discover that this commandment... Watch this, and I'm not going to read fast because I'll blur my words. I'm watching the time. On deeper reflection, we will discover that this commandment provides the necessary foundation for all human flourishing on the face of the earth. Governments and cultural traditions violate the Eighth Commandment at their peril. For, whatever the, for wherever this commandment is ignored, watch this, entire nations remain trapped in poverty forever. When that happens, they tragically fail to achieve God's purposes for them on the earth. The command, you shall not steal, assumes that there is something to steal, something that belongs to someone else and not to me. I should not steal your ox or your donkey or your car or your cell phone or your iPad because it belongs to you and not to me. Therefore, the command you shall not steal, watch this, assumes private ownership of property. Other passages of the Old Testament show that God was concerned to protect the private ownership of property. Property was to be owned by individuals, not by the government or by society as a whole. There are many laws that define punishments for stealing and appropriate restitution for damage to another person's farm animals or agricultural fields. Why? It belonged to them as individuals. It also says throughout the Old Testament, you shall not move the ancient boundary. What does that mean? That was their title company. You don't mess with the survey. That belongs to somebody and it's not yours. You mess with it, you're stealing, that's their private property. The Old Testament also shows an awareness that governments could wrongly use their immense power to disregard property rights and steal what they should not have. At the urging of a wicked queen Jezebel, King Ahab wrongfully stole Naboth's vineyard and had Naboth killed in the process. That's 1 Kings 21. I don't know if you remember that. Ahab and Jezebel, wicked, wicked, wicked. She comes home, he's depressed. What's the matter? Oh, that Naboth, I tried to buy his vineyard. Incredible vineyard. He won't, he won't sell it to me. Oh, I'll get it for you. So gets, you know, gets some false charges. Somebody lies. Uh, they convict this guy, and they kill him. She murders him. Okay, there's your vineyard. Prophet says, hey, let me tell you something. Jezzy. <laughs> the hounds are going to lick your blood right there. And you too, Ahab. Also, Samuel, and, and I can't read every verse to you. Grudem says, so Samuel told all the, and, and now we're quoting, um, when, when the people rejected God as their king and wanted a king like the other nations, 1 Samuel 8, verses 10 through 18. This is insightful. Listen to this. Grudem says, and the prophet Samuel warned the people of Israel of the evils of a king, watch this, who would take and take and take. Listen to this. And this happened throughout Israel's history because most of the kings were evil and not men of God's heart. So they would take. Samuel said this. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, to be his horsemen, and to run before the chariots. Uh, He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards. Did you catch that? 
Those belong to you. He will take your daughter, uh, your, your, the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants, your employees. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. He warned them what would happen when you have evil rulers. He then goes on and says, are you guys still with me? All right, now, this is wild stuff, isn't it? It's all in the Word of God. But where are we with the Word of God as a country? Are you kidding me? We don't pay attention to this book. We used to. Every kid in America that used to learn to read, he would, he would read McGuffey's Readers. And McGuffey's Readers, here's the letter of the alphabet, and here's the verse that begins with the letter of the alphabet, and they memorized scripture as they were learning to read. But as Alan Bloom said in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, which he wrote 25 years ago, he looked around and said, what's happened? And he was not a believer. He was a, a, a Jew, but he looked around at America, and he said, what's, what's happened to America? And he goes, well, basically, in America, every home used to have a Bible on the coffee table. And that Bible represented what that family believed. Even if they weren't Christians, didn't have a personal relationship with Christ, if you asked them about their values, it came out of that book. Didn't know the Lord, never read the Bible, got, it's got a quarter inch of dust, but that's what they believed. Because grandpa or great-grandpa, they were living off the spiritual capital of the past, and that's why you didn't have divorce in the 40s and 50s, and it really didn't hit until the late 60s and the 70s. And in about just a matter of years, we went from a culture of divorce, uh, back up, a culture of marriage to a culture of divorce. Why? Because we ignored the book. You see? Okay. Listen to what he says. If the Eighth Commandment, this is Grudem again, if the Eighth Commandment implies private ownership of property, then the focus of the Eighth Commandment is different from the other nine commandments. The Eighth Commandment covers an entire range of human activity that is not the purpose of these other commandments. Watch this. Commandments 1 through 4 focus primarily on our relationship to God and the duties we owe to God. Uh, Verse 4, you shall have no other gods before you. Now here's what's interesting. We are now in a situation where we have the government telling us, (laughs) you know, you look at some of the Old Testament kings, they sacrificed their children to Baal Moloch, threw them into the fire. God said, such a thing has never entered my mind. So now, we sl- how many babies? Two million a year? At least. It's just, it's just out of control. Man, you cannot go after a snail darter, but little boys and little girls are open season. So you're getting political. I am... Uh, you, this is God's word. Don't, don't throw that on me. This is biblical. Now, here we are right now. Here's what's going on. So, you've got Wheaton College, an evangelical Bible-based university that has filed suit against the government because they are forcing them to have other gods before them and pay, and pay for contraception. And, and you, you know the deal. That's why the Roman Catholic Church, that's why Hobby Lobby is filing suit. Because the government is saying, you shall have other gods. They're asking us to violate what God says. That's why some of us are disturbed. Okay? Commandment 5 protects a family. Honor your father and mother. And there's more scripture on that in the Old Testament law. Honor your father and mother. Father and mothers are to be married. God invented marriage. God owns marriage. Marriage is exclusive. God invented marriage, and marriage is between a man and a woman, period. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see? Oh, that's not right, though, because you can have all these other marriages. Actually, you can't. See, that's Romans 1, 18. Read down to the end. That's where we are. And it's not only to be accepted, it's to be approved. You see? Commandment 6 protects life. You shall not murder. Commandment 7 protects marriage. You shall not commit adultery. When you get married, adultery is out. You see? 
Oh, that's so passe. That's so old school. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. Commandment 9 protects truth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You, shouldn't be, you shall not be a liar. Hey, we've had... Uh, <laughs> We got guys in the highest office convicted of perjury. And no big deal. Commandment 10 requires purity of heart. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. That's fascinating to me. You shall not covet. So I stand back and look at this thing. And so much of this is about coveting what you don't have and other people have and wanting it. And it's a violation of the Ten Commandments. And if you have it, you got it wrongly. They assume that. They don't know that. And we think the Bible's boring. It's the most relevant book in the world. Is any of this making sense? Yeah. Grudem goes on. He says, private property also implies stewardship. And then he goes on and says, stewardship implies an expectation of human achievement. God said to Adam and Eve, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Out where I live a few years ago, they were doing the whole natural gas thing, and we had a town hall meeting and all this, and you know, shall we drill, shall we not drill? And everybody's there and talking, and we do a little, you know. So, I was the last guy up, and I just basically got up and I said, hey, you know, um, I was talking to some guys during the break, there's quite a few of us that live here, we're from California originally, and we left. And, uh, that was interesting. I didn't know all these guys were here from California. But uh, a lot of people out there worship uh, the earth. I said, you know, in our family, we worship God. And we believe the Bible in our family. And we believe God gave dominion to the human race over the earth. You know what that means? That means he put that gas in there for us to go get and drill. That's my biblical basis for saying, let's go drill. Then I took an offering, had the ushers come forward. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. Let's get a little biblical truth. He put that in there for us. Well, you can't drill. It might hurt the tundra. That's Baal worship. Baal worship said that Baal controlled the environment. No, God controls the environment. That's why Elijah said it won't rain for three and a half years until Yahweh says it'll rain because Baal doesn't run anything. God runs it. Uh, where it says subdue the earth, the Hebrew word subdue in verse 28, Hebrew kabosh means to make the earth youthful, means to make the earth use, useful for human beings' benefit and enjoyment. Isn't that interesting? Stewardship implies the expectation of expectation of human achievement. You're to subdue the earth and use it. Okay? When God entrusts us with something, he expects us to do something worthwhile with it. Therefore, the Eighth Commandment gives both the opportunity for human achievement by entrusting property to us and the expectation of human achievement by making us accountable stewards to God. The commandment, you should not steal, when viewed in context of the entire Bible's teaching on stewardship, implies that God created us not only to merely survive, but to achieve much and to flourish on the earth. Therefore, the Eighth, Commandment of, the Eighth Commandment is God's wonderful gift that leads to human flourishing. The ownership of property, I'm quoting Grudem, which is implied by the Eighth Commandment, gives people the freedom they need to try to be faithful stewards of what God entrusts to them. In addition, ownership of property motivates people to create, invent, and produce because they have the hope of keeping and enjoying what they earn. Therefore, the ownership of property, which is implied by the Eighth Commandment, is essential for, essential, is essential for human flourishing. God, in his wisdom, gave a command that laid the foundation for human flourishing throughout all the ages of human existence on the earth. Then he talks about governments that have broken the Eighth Commandment. 
He says, communist countries prohibit private ownership of land. Karl Marx said the theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. So I'm, talking, I'm coming back from Quebec City this weekend to get on three different planes to get to Dallas. On one of the planes, sitting next to a gentleman about 80 years old, lives in Canada, has lived in the States. Um, very interesting gentleman, never got past the ninth grade. Had a great conversation with this gentleman. Don't think he knew the Lord. But he was very concerned about the direction of where we're going. And uh, had done business in Europe and all this. He's talking about his son who had just needed a biopsy for a tumor they had found in Canada. And he was going to have to wait, I think he said, three months because of the healthcare system. So uh, his son got in the car and drove to Buffalo and got it done. It would have taken months and months and it was delayed, the surgery, anyway. He said there are only two other nations besides Canada that have single-payer health care like Canada. And you guys are in the process of evolving into it. He said, you know what the other two nations are? I said, no. He said, North Korea and Cuba. Well, I'm just here to encourage you. <laughs> but here's what happens when you leave God. And here's what happens when you leave God's word. You see? Uh, as I, now, now, let's get some hope. Okay? I frequently have conversations with guys, like I did this weekend on the plane, with guys at different conferences as I go to. It's going to happen this weekend. I'm going to California. I know. I'm going to have some significant conversations with the guys, and I'll be mulling over as I'm on the plane coming back on Sunday. I'll hear something like this, and I've heard this for a long time. When guys get real gut level honest, I'm afraid we're going to lose our nation. I'm afraid we're going to lose our liberty. And they don't always use this terminology, but I'm afraid we're going to lose our property rights. I'm afraid we're going to lose our free enterprise system, which comes from the Old Testament as you've just seen. Now turn with me to Daniel 2. Why Daniel 2? Because Daniel walked by faith, didn't he? Yeah. Now, the reason I go, I, I mention Daniel is simply this, guys. Those three things that I hear guys talking about all the time, I'm afraid I'll lose my nation, I'm afraid I'll lose my liberty, I'm afraid, afraid I'll lose my property. Catch this, catch this. Daniel lost all three. When the prophets would speak to all the kings, the northern kingdom went into captivity, then later the southern kingdom went into captivity. God sent the, he said, I'm going to send the Chaldeans, who are the Babylonians, they're going to come in here, and they're going to take you into captivity because you have not listened to me for these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You're going into captivity in Babylon. There were different waves of uh, the exiles going to Babylon. Da Daniel was in the first wave with his three buddies, okay? He lost everything. And while he is there in Babylon and he's in that, uh, you know, program for the smart young guys that he was put in under Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king has a dream and the king says, hey, listen, I'm tired of paying you guys and you're not doing anything. I tell you the dream, you tell me the interpretation. I I'm not doing that anymore. If you're so smart, you tell me the dream. Oh. King, there's not a man on the earth who can do that. Well, actually, there is a man named Daniel who knows the one true God. So Daniel and his buddies get on their knees and they ask God, Lord, show us what he, he dreamt. God shows it to him. He reveals it to him. Because God knows the mind's a king. God gave the guy the dream. Why wouldn't God know it? So God gives him the interpretation. And in thanksgiving to God, say, Steve, what does this have to, me to, do, have to do with me today? Everything. It has everything to do with you and me. We don't, we, we don't have to walk around scared or afraid. We know Christ, the Son of God, who has given us interest to the Father. Our sins are forgiven, our future is eternal, and He will get us every day what we need until we go to heaven. That's just what He says. You say, oh, we'll not suffer? It doesn't say that. It just says He'll take care of us. He'll give us what we need. Okay? 
So look at Daniel 2.19. I've read this a hundred times in this Bible study. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. Lord, you gave me the dream that was in his mind. All right, he's praising God. For wisdom and power belong to you. How much wisdom does God have? Somebody help me. God has all wisdom. How much power does God have? Does God rule the nations in the affairs of men? Then he ruled what happened last night. From before the foundations of the world. Well, that's not the way I do it. Obviously. It's the way he did it. Yeah, but there's a fundamental shift. There's a shift. Yes, there is. It's changed. This country has changed. Uh, 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 yeah, and look at the next verse. It is he who changes the times and the seasons. Just chew on that a little bit. I don't like it. Understandable. But get under the authority. Get under. Next verse. He removes kings and establishes kings. God's orchestrating this whole thing, guys. The whole thing. And in the midst of this, in Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says this. He says, don't worry about your life. Now, what's all the grieving and all the worry and all the concern? We're worried about our lives, where we're going from here. Jesus says, don't worry. I run the worlds, I run the nations. I get my eye on you. I know who my people are. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Isaiah 41, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you with my righteous strong hand. That's either true or it isn't. Right? I got three minutes to give you hope. And I've been doing all this to set it all up. Okay? Because God doesn't want us walking in fear. He doesn't want us anxiously looking about what's coming next. He's in charge. He's in control. Uh, Daniel was in the first wave that went into exile in Babylon for 70 years. Lost everything. Go with me to Jeremiah 29. You know that verse that you see if you go into a Christian bookstore, they'll have it on plaques and calligraphy and kind of decoupaged. You can put it in a, you know, somewhere. And I'm not mocking the verse. I'm mocking what we do with the verse. We have ripped the verse out of its context. The verse to which I refer, where am I going? Jeremiah 29? Jeremiah 29 is really an interesting passage. Now, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile. The people who had left and were in Babylonian captivity. He writes to them. Uh, what I want you to note is verse 11. Here's the verse that we put little roses around and all this. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And you see a little Christian bookstore. Oh, that's such a sweet verse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get the context. You know who God said that to? To the people who had lost their nation, their liberty, and their property. And have been taken into exile because of the sin of the nation for hundreds of years. And among those people who were taken were true believers. They lost everything. And the hand of Almighty God was all over their lives. That'd be terrible. You, you ever ask yourself, man, what, what, oh my gosh, what if the worst happened? What about my kids? What about my grandkids? This is a 70-year deal that affected them, their kids, and their grandkids. And in the midst of this, know what God says to them, because their lives have been interrupted. Now, listen, I don't know where we're going or what's going to happen or when or any of that stuff, all right? Well, I just know this. There's a general sense of despair. I think God wants us to live in despair. God's up to something. He's orchestrating something. You don't know what he's doing. So can I, can I just say this to you? Get all in with Jesus. Don't miss around. Get in. Get under the authority. Obey him.
Quit excusing certain things. Yield to him, ask him for help. I'm not saying we're going to be sinless. I'm not saying that because we won't be. But your heart's desire, even when you fail, it's not what you want. You want to obey him. He looks at your heart. He's not expecting you to be perfect. He knows you're not perfect. But he's looking at heart, isn't he? So get in, man. This is no time to be playing church, is it, if you want the favor of God in your life? Here's what God says to these guys that lost the nation, liberty, property, they lost everything. It, the whole thing is way down the road. And listen, don't get too worried trying to figure out where we are in the process, because when you read the Old Testament, and I was reading it this morning, the worst king in the history of Judah was Manasseh sacrificing babies, put a phallic symbol in the Holy of Holies, had astrologers, had, uh, oh my gosh. It was the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. Worst. Then he had a son that was, that was as bad as he was, basically, which actually wasn't as bad. It was hard to be as bad as he was. But then the next boy was a boy named Josiah, who was the greatest king in the history of Judah, greater than David. It was the worst of the worst. Well, you don't know what God's doing in the future. So don't just go off a cliff here. You don't know what God's going to do. So what do we do? Watch this. So here's where we are right now. So what should I do? How should I respond, Steve, to all this stuff? Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent out into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Watch this. Build houses and live in them. Plant produce. Now plant gardens and eat their produce. Plant some organic gardens. <laughs> they didn't have fertilizer back. They didn't have pesticides. I take that to mean organic, don't you? Yeah. Plant an organic garden. It's good to have one. Oh, here's interesting. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Oh, things are so bad. This is not a time to have children. That's not what God said. Have kids. Have kids. You're a single guy? Look for a godly wife. Nothing wrong with that. It's a godly thing to want to be married. It's a godly thing. But you need a godly woman. She's worth waiting for. So you need to go to some single bar and check it out because most of those chicks aren't looking to be godly women. Are they? Like attracts like. Okay. Don't charge for that one. Just thought I'd throw it in. <laughs> Take wives, become the fathers of sons and daughters. Watch this. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands. It's about the future of the kids. You got little girls? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen in the future? Well, you know what? Your little girls are going to need a godly husband. So you be a godly husband and show her what it looks like, and then you help her find a guy. Oh, life's over. Life's not over. God, you just keep living life. Just keep late. You just keep showing up and following me. I'm running this show. You don't need a freak. You don't become a hermit. Take wives to your sons, give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Don't become like Europe and have 1.1 kids. Or like uh, America. Have kids. God's four kids. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in the exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets who are in the midst and your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to dreams which they dream. They prophesy falsely to you. And there's a certain prophecy. It's not going to be 70 years. Actually, it is going to be 70 years. I'm telling you what's going to happen. I think in seven years, I'm going to take you back. But there's, a guy, there's going to be a guy named Cyrus who's going to be king of Persia. And God had said this even before this. There's going to be a guy named Cyrus, king of Persia. Persia was nothing. Persia was little league. Well, they were going to become major league under Cyrus, and he was going to, he was going to take the Chaldeans, and he's going to be the guy that God's going to raise up who's going to go help you get back to Jerusalem, and I'm going to use him to make a way for you and to build that city for you, even though he doesn't know me. Twice he doesn't know me. And God said it 150 years before it happened. So it's okay. So what do we do? Keep living life. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being faithful. Get as close to Christ as you can. Put the word of God in your heart. Don't touch sin with a 10-foot pole. If you're interested in some woman you're not married to, cut it off. Or we're just having lunch. Don't have lunch. Take your wife to lunch. Work this stuff out with your wife. Just work it through. 
Keep that marriage together. Love those kids. Ask the Lord to bless you. Keep showing up. Live in life. Let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what's right. We're okay. Go eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> Actually, don't do that. Are you doing better? It's all under control. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is Lord. As one great theologian said, over every square inch of life. There is not an area of life that he is not Lord over. This is strange. It uh, has concerned us. Are, are we moving into days um, of uh, greater persecution? I, I think it's safe to say yes. But we don't, we, you, don't you have not given us a spirit of fear. The early church encountered persecution. You got pastors in Iran on death row. Now, what's going to happen? How is it going to happen? I don't know. But John Fox wrote that amazing book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Hundreds of years of church history of those who died for their faith. And when they were in the fire, they went out preaching the word of God. How does that work? They weren't screaming and yelling. They were preaching the word of God because you were with them in a supernatural way. You don't want us to fear. You said to the disciples when they pull you up in front of the council, do not worry about what you will say. It will be given to you in that hour. You give us what we need when we need it. So you don't want us living in fear. Help us to be thankful for what we have. We still have freedoms here. How blessed we are. I pray that you'll help us to go home and encourage our wives. Help us to lead them here spiritually. Not to be in despondency or any of the other emotions, but to take her hand and before we go to bed tonight, just to pray and be thankful that we should be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, tonight, we, we, with our wives, may we commit our marriages to you, our kids to you, our nation to you. We would pray for our leaders. You've told us to pray for them. I would pray for our president. I would pray that he would know you from his heart. And for the other leaders, you changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart. You can change anybody's heart. We put it all in your hands. Now, I pray, in contrast to this morning, that we would make, wake up tomorrow with peace in our hearts. And a new perspective. Thanking you as we make our way to work, that we're able to work. Thank you for favor which is upon us. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. To him be glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.